Hi, it's the Chris Front Podcast. I'm Maya, back with another episode. For today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure to chat to Brian Walker. Uh, he originally reached out to me to come on the podcast uh, to promote the upcoming documentary, Safe and Sound, that he's co-producing. But I quickly learned he's not only a filmmaker, but an artist of many talents and genuinely an all-around incredible human to talk to and be around. So uh, Brian is a musician under the name A Day Without Love, an author, podcaster, activist, uh, and well, now also filmmaker. I'm lucky that he took the time to talk to me about his journey into music, writing, podcasting, and everything else. And obviously the upcoming documentary, Safe and Sound, on the value of safe spaces in the US music scene. Let's do this. Turn the other cheek. It's not so Hello everybody, welcome to season two of the Chris Schrant Podcast. I'm your host Maya, my pronouns are she, they, and today's a really exciting episode. Um, This is episode number three of the new season and today we've got Brian Walker with us, author, activist, filmmaker, podcaster and musician under the name of Day Without Love. Um, And frankly, I couldn't be more excited to to have him on today. Um, Yeah, Brian, please introduce yourself. How's it going? My name is Brian Walker, pronouns he, him. Uh, I'm a musician, author, podcaster, uh, working on a documentary, and a person of many hats, and, and I'm really glad to be here at Queers at the Front. How's it going? Sick. Well, genuinely, I'm so excited. But yeah, so for those of you tuning in for the first time, uh, on the Quish Front podcast, we invite marginalized artists and crew to talk about breaking into the music industry, growing as an artist, finding crew gigs, and, and much more. Um, we do this because we hope to empower listeners and show them that they can do it too. Uh, you may be wondering now, though, who is Quiz Front? Uh, so we are an artist management and PR company that prioritizes queer, BIPOC and disabled artists. And we operate all over North America, the UK and Europe. Uh, so anyways, uh, let's get into it, Brian. Uh, usually uh, I like to start off with an easy, easy question. Uh, how did you get into music? Certainly. Uh, so just getting into music in general starts for me as early as just being a child and going to block parties in Philadelphia. Uh, I grew up in the African-American community of Mount Airy in Philadelphia, but I also had a family like in all parts of North Philly. And uh, my uncle was a DJ. I also had uncles that were guitarists. So just watching them. That was before I started playing was how I got exposed to the idea of playing music. Then fast forward to 16, I started having friends that played music, but I still wasn't playing music. Like the only thing I was involved in, I was a junior deacon at church and I did martial arts and I taught people how to play martial, uh, how to play martial arts, how to defend themselves. (laughs) You don't play martial arts. Um, And then at 18, I bought a guitar um, and I was really just buying the guitar out of just for the love of it. And I wrote poetry Uh, But I didn't get into, like, performing or putting myself out there until I was about 19, 20. From 19 to about 23, I was, like, a big fan of the cover cover circuit and the open mic circuit. I was just saying, anywhere there's an open mic, I'll play there. Uh, Openmics.org is, like, a website for open mics all over the world. That was my bread and butter. 
then it wasn't until uh, I was 23, 24, Hurricane Sandy happened, and I was in a band. I also played in bands and stuff like that, and I became homeless, and that's when, like, A Day Without Love came about, so yeah. Wow, yeah, that's uh, quite 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 a journey already, but, well, I mean, uh, just looking at your Bandcamp page, uh, it's been about nine years that, that you've done this project now, yeah. and... Uh, is I believe an absolutely mind blowing thirty eight releases later. Am I correct in that? Oh yeah, that's this just mental. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it's fair to say that I think you've become quite an established artist. And and again, frankly, I'm just I'm just blown away by the sheer output that that you create. And you know, it doesn't even it doesn't even stop at music. You know, uh, you're an author, podcaster. Uh, now you're also working on documentaries. Um, <laughs> I I will say I'm intrigued to see how we will fit all of that into uh, one episode. But, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll we'll get there. But first things first, uh, I would love to chat about your podcast, uh, Dreams Not Memes. Um, the idea behind it uh, is to interview 1,000 people from every country in the world about their careers, activisms, aspirations, etc. Um, I'll say like, fuck, the idea is just so so cool. Um, but yeah, how's that going so far? Like, how many episodes are you in at this point? Is it tw- two two twenty six or something? No, uh, we're approaching the upper two sixties. Um, well, actually, Dang. as of today, this two sixty nine is going to get published. And I've really, even though it's a lot, I think I'm getting to a more effective process than it was before. Because how I used to do the podcast is like. Every Sunday, got to do reach outs, book a bunch of people, interview, rinse, repeat. Now it's kind of like, well, now that I have a day job on top of like, I've covered a lot. Now got to think about what countries do I want to interview and things like that. I'm being a lot more strategic about who I interview. I'm not being picky. Um, I'm just being more strategic. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people that I've said no to. Uh, i.e. alt-right people, outright hateful people, things like that. Believe it or not, I get that. Um, But it's definitely been a great time and a great process, and it's been really cool to interview like-minded people around the world who are doing different things, and then seeing those people network and connect with each other. Uh, Take, for example, there's this organization called Alt-Salt that I'm affiliated with, and they're an organization dedicated to helping marginalized folk uplift their voices with alternative media, whether that means running a podcast, a zine, magazine, book, music, et cetera, et cetera. And one of their projects they're working on is revitalizing uh, artifacts of the media that are going extinct because the culture isn't getting the, the, the funding that it needs. So through my podcast, this person's like listening to episodes and trying to reconnect with people about culture. But overall, it's been a really great experience because at first I started it with the intent of how can I create something that's outside of myself and and meet people? Uh, And now it seems like I'm unintentionally creating this like community of knowledge and it's cool. How do you meet all of these people though? I mean, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, you were able to travel yourself and like, probably record a lot of these podcasts in person but how how does that work out now and how do you find all of these people certainly um so my cold calling method it's just as simple as 
researching business owners in insert location or musicians via Bandcamp. Um, but a lot of it has been through networking from one person telling me about another person. So like I might make a reach out like looking for people and insert country here and people will message me and say, I have a friend who does X thing, feel free to reach out to them. So it's been mostly referrals of, as opposed to like cold calls, but that's not to say that I haven't done cold calls where like I get into like this Instagram dive of looking at creators in certain locations and, and then saying like, Hey, I like what you do. This is the mm-hmm. time of my podcast. Would you like to step in there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I appreciate you doing, you're doing this loads and I mean, fuck, I know, I know how much time it takes to, uh, edit an episode and like get everything together and prepare and stuff. Like genuinely, I wonder how much, how much do you prepare per episode roughly? I mean, uh, you know, um, like simply because of the sheer output and like how many hours there are in a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it it depends episode to episode. Some episodes I just go in completely cold, like I don't know what we're gonna talk about, and then it happens because it's like unscripted, and then we edit it accordingly. And then other episodes I have to do a lot of research. Uh, in the beginning, it was really easy because I already knew the people. Uh, yeah, now, that's the easiest. Yeah, yeah, but now I definitely don't know anybody. I mean, not you get what I mean by that. Uh, so it, it varies. Like it depends on the scope of their work, and I make the decision of like maybe I should like. I mean, I always listen, but maybe I should do some more background research, and then like I could provide a better experience with you know, um, you know, the listener. Uh, and then other times it's kind of like. Maybe I shouldn't. Like, for example, uh, I had an interview with someone from uh, Guam, and the interview was focused on colonialization in Guam and why statehoods and, I mean, independence Mm -hmm. is important. So I argued, do I ask every question possible or do I make this an educational experience and ask the questions as if I know nothing? And that's what I did. And then it became a very robust experience. Now, the time management project for that, I definitely had to, like, edit a few days ahead of time because it was a lot. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it it was great. And then that opened up a lot of doors for me. And I'm interviewing a lot of people uh, from the Pacific and and Micronesia. And I'm having some really deep conversations about that. That is so sick. I mean, but do you think the episode turned out better because you ended up deciding going for... Uh, kind of like the I want to make this a more educated kind of experience or like a, a educationary experience for for the listener or do you feel like the person was maybe in a way like I don't know how much you you would have like um kind of like given them a heads up beforehand but like were they like slightly offended or how did that go? oh no 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 we have a, oh yeah so that's probably another thing I should mention I don't go so cold where they don't know what they're gonna talk about we have pre-conversations Sometimes we're chatting via email. Sometimes we chat way before the recording process. So they weren't caught off guard. They, they definitely knew what they were okay, getting yeah. into. Uh, they definitely knew what they wanted to share. Because I always come from an approach from, I want to create this like catalog or library of conversations about people's careers, passions, and lifestyles. Uh, what would, would you like to talk? And then we bring into, like, tell me about yourself. What is it that you would like to focus on? So they told me that they wanted to talk about independence in Guam. And then we uh, talked yeah. about, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never go from approach where it's like, let me see how 
far we could go down the rabbit hole and yeah no that that would be dangerous i'm, I'm just genuinely <laughs> yeah no i'm just i'm just genuinely interested because yeah. uh you know doing a podcast here myself and uh i always i'm like in a way i'm 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 really bad at perfectionism or as in like i want my podcast to be like really good and like this really cool listening experience and stuff like that and i can i have the hardest time to just let go and be like this podcast is like at 90% and that's fine. It doesn't need to go at like 170% each time. And like, I'll I'll say to you, like I spent on most of the episodes in season one, I easily spent like 12 plus hours on like the total uh, podcast. Oh, easily, wow. Which is, which is quite insane. And like it resulted in so many night shifts. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still, tr- I'm, I'm still trying to kind of like get a grip on that and like, but isn't that the problem with uh, that each artist has in a way, like when to let go, in a way, or like do do you do you have that? I have had that, and and that's not just with the podcast; that's with everything. Um, like, like musically speaking, I think there was a time where I had this battle of it needs to be perfect, it needs to get done fast, it needs to take a long time. And now I don't like polarize myself like a either or type of way. I kind of think about it like it depends on what you want to create. Like last year I put out 13 records and had like 230 (laughs) podcast episodes. So like when people say the pandemic made it harder, it was like, well, my anxiety told me it's not harder. You just got to do more. Right. So I did more. Right. Um but now I'm working on a record and I'm taking my time with it. I'm working with a the producer. They're like letting me explore a lot of ideas. Uh, the documentary like got set back due to constraint to IE pandemic, but like we're still taking our time. So it's just like all, all these sorts of things that like I'm working on. And I think it all depends on like process and change. And also remembering that like each bit of content's gonna get a little better as your process gets better. So I'm never a fan of quality or quantity. I'm always thinking about contingency and process because like everyone's creative output's different. Everyone's intent is different. So that's why your process is important. And then secondly, like regarding the podcast, like I started it with the intent of not editing and my first episodes like have absolutely no concept of edits. Like there's one mm-hmm. episode where like a bee gets in my face and I'm literally flipping out like, fuck, there's a bee, like, oh my God. And, and it's like really funny, <laughs> wow. you know, but, but now I'm editing it. Like I'm going in post mm-hmm. and things like that. But also there's other things outside of my control. And I always try to like give myself the serenity that sometimes I'm going to interview someone and, you know, a truck might fly by. Uh, and I always have to make that decision. Like, can I ask them to say it again? Do they have the time? Or am I just going to have to duck the EQ so that like, so it, it, yeah. I just always have to remember that creativity is a reflection of the moment in time, especially when it comes to recording. And, that, and I say that to myself, uh, musically as well as, as, as a podcaster. Brian, you, you, you're making me want to take notes again. <laughs> like I'm, I'm in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, seriously though, I, I, I really resonate with that. Like, um, kind of, yeah, making that decision or like just seeing the balance between the process and what it is in the moment of the time, and why, why, like humans tend to want or like artists tend to want to polish everything to like 
so many extents. Whilst actually, as a consumer, I, th- I feel like so many people, including me, actually, like, I enjoy a really raw record. Mm. Like, I love listening to to demos and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I mean, yes, I do love a well-produced record. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll appreciate that. But at the same time, like, say, like, I don't know, against me. Like, obviously, I appreciate all the newer records that are, like, properly produced. But I'll always go back to uh, Reinventor X and Rose because, like, the real thing. Or, like, do you know what I mean? Like, the thing about... The thing about relating to somebody that you see on a stage or somebody that you hear sing on a record or like just share their creative thing, uh, you know, isn't the whole, um, isn't what draws us to it the imperfection? I I would agree. I mean, even in old, old records, like way before both of our times, um, you could hear things like door shutting and and picks being picked up uh, when the guitar solo starts and things like that. Yep, yep. And I think those experiences uh, are are kind of, like, harder to find in newer records because I hate being saying this, but there are some really overproduced records. And <laughs> yes. I just think uh, that, like, <sighs> yo, effects are cool. That That's never old, but, like, there's something about capturing human experiences in a record and making the production about those experiences. Like I miss skits, <laughs> you know, I miss hearing like outdoor noises in a song and things like that. Uh, and that's something I aspire to do in future records, like for myself, because I miss that. But I, I completely agree with that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting balance or disbalance. That I feel like many, many, many artists are in honestly, the, um anyways like uh two two questions that i that i have been wanting to to ask about the podcast as well um do you feel like doing this podcast especially the pandemic uh allows you to still in a way quote-unquote like see the world and and cross borders by talking to people from 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 like everywhere every week like do you feel like that that sort of helps with being stuck in in one place for for so long oh it, it totally has um because like my only place that i go to is coffee <laughs> you know um and, and the occasional outdoor walk but like exactly it, it has like i mean i didn't start this podcast for for my mental health uh but it has helped my mental health and like my ability to socialize like for example, I have an interview that's been like rescheduled multiple times, but the reason why is because the person is a nurse working in the pandemic unit, uh, oh, wow. like on Fiji, you know, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to this person about their experience with like uh, women's rights movements for specifically darker toned women. Like that's like a whole thing down there. Um, but we've had to reschedule because of the pandemic and that's like, cause their demand is needed in their day job. So like hearing experiences like that's been interesting or talking to people, uh, about their feelings about why concerts are still happening and they never stopped. Uh, so it, it's definitely been cool cause, um, I don't see myself as a journalist. I just see myself as a very curious person when I'm doing these podcasts, but inadvertently, I am doing an act of journalism by sharing different people's angles. You do, yeah. Towards their, yeah. To their lifestyles and stuff like that, so, yeah. Do you, do you also sometimes find yourself looking at the podcast from a more 
marketing slash kind of branding uh angle in a way i mean by the way like a complete off script question i i literally just like asked myself that um because i you know i i immediately when i when i heard about your podcast and the idea behind it first i was immediately super inspired i was like oh i want to do this too this is so sick but then it was like well it's also so much work and like you know i do quiz front for a job and stuff so everything that i do around it and with it and in it needs to be in some way leading to a monetization unfortunately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is often quite quite an act of balance especially when you try to like do things ethically as we both know sure. but um but like i i definitely find myself sometimes when like i would love to interview this super random person from this super random country and talk about the super random thing that they do because i find it sick and like i want to share their story but at the same time i'm like is anybody gonna listen to that and like from my core audience that i know exists in these places and has these uh experiences and and and, like these interests and what they want to listen to from what i know from like the statistics and everything um and i know that that's kind of a horrible thing to say in a way but like we all only have so many hours in a day uh, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, do you do you find yourself with that sometimes, or do you feel like because of sheer output and the sheer number sure, yeah. of the episodes, it's just like, yeah, whatever, I'll do it anyways. Do you know what I mean? No, no, no. I, I completely get that. Um, that's part of why I went from releasing five days a week to three days a week. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than logistics, it was a matter of monetization and time. So, like, with the vendor that I use for podcasting, that's Anchor. I maxed out of oh, there. Yeah, yeah. I maxed out of their, uh, you know, monetization. So mm-hmm. what I decided to do is I decided to rebrand my Patreon so that if you do want to support the podcast on top of everything else I do, I have a podcasting tier. And I'm trying to think about a way to create exclusive material later down the road when I get more funding, um, or maybe even potentially offer guests like, do you want to do a video podcast when it gets mm-hmm. seen to an exclusive audience, including yourself? That's something I would like to do if I get more patrons. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't see it. How can I put this? I didn't start it or continue it with the idea of branding, but it mm-hmm. does happen for the conglomerate of things that I do. Like, for example, yeah. uh, there is someone I interviewed in South Carolina who is a poet who writes about love. And he's been able to introduce me to this international community of poets that meet once a month on open mics and I get to meet all these thinkers from all different backgrounds, you know, like literally around the world. Like I had an interview with a woman from Tanzania and I'm scheduling an interview with someone from Nigeria uh, about their experiences. So like that was something that opened doors, but I didn't see it as like marketing, but more it was like relationship building. Um, for things that I do because they do something that I also do. Um, or I've noticed that musicians will listen to other musicians and the next thing you know, they're making a record because they listen to each other's podcasts so, or shirt sales. Like, so it's definitely helped me. Um, and I, I definitely know um, it would be great to have like a, a paid listener uh, hub. And I don't think that's a, like a bad thing to share, but like, I look at it like I'm at 269 out of a thousand and I've come this far and like I've seen some opportunities happen for myself and others. So let's see what happens in the next like 
730 episodes because mm-hmm. I, I have no idea what will happen, but I think something will happen. Like, that's how I kind of look at it. Were, were you doing the uh, the Anchor-sponsored program type of thing, or what was that? Yeah, I was doing the sponsor program, so yeah. So now I just kind of, like... I have an ad in the in the mid roll of my pod mm-hmm. uh, that says like if you'd like to support, just send me an email, um, or here's a website to go to. Uh, but otherwise, like it's happened, you know, people will either find my Venmo and donate just because of what I'm doing, um, buy my merch, et cetera, et cetera. So. Sick, yeah. yeah. No, I I appreciate that. It's 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 a difficult one, like and um. But anyways, uh, jumping off uh, poetry, as you mentioned that um. So you have released a poetry book called Surviving and Diving um, that you wrote last October. Um, I wonder how did this book come together and what's kind of the uh, the story behind it? Certainly, certainly. Um, so I wrote the poetry book because I wrote a poetry book before, but I never published it uh, when I was 20. It was, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, when I was 18 and 19, it was called 365 of Being Alive. And it was exactly what it sounds like. I read a poem every day. Uh, and, wow. and one of the poems I wrote was A Day Without Love. That's, that's a different story. Um, and I was going to publish it at 2021, but then my heart drive crashed. So I'd never, I never, I like erased the idea of writing poetry for people to read or to listen to or spoken word. I was just like, I'm going to keep writing poetry, but I'm just going to do it for myself. So at 32, at 31, I just started like getting exposed to a lot of Twitter poets, like people writing poetry on Twitter, Instagram, then I interviewed Terrence and Terrence is like a fellow African-American and he talked to me about his journey with poetry. And like, after we interviewed, we kept talking and things like that. And I, I felt like I developed a friendship out of it, uh, like out of that conversation. And I thought to myself, maybe I should write. Because a lot of the turmoil that happened in 2020 burned me out in a different way than others. And what I mean by that is, like, when it comes to topics of race, like, when people say, oh, this is just happening, I felt like that was a slap in the face. Simply because, like, I've had family members that have, like, gone through police brutality. Like, I've been harassed by police, like, the whole night. So I was like, it didn't start with George Floyd. Like, there are literally... Certainly decades of this happening um Mm -hmm. you know i lost people from the pandemic to COVID 19 so it was just like so many different things and you know i didn't want to write another album about these topics because i already did so i was just like i'm not gonna double dip i I, i'm not i'm not a fan of that so it's like i'm gonna express myself in a different way but talk about it also differently as a poet so that's what brought up the idea of surviving and diving because it's not strictly political. It's also motivational. It's like, how could I talk about, you know, my life of being a 32 year old and 32 poems, but also kind of give some glimmer of hope. So that was kind of like the goal of that. So like I talk about the election I talk about local politics in Philadelphia. I talk about just the idea of acknowledging I'm not old, despite people saying like, you're past 25, you're old, like, you know, um, <laughs> life's over now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> over. So like, that's kind of like the point of, of the book or like self-love and, and loving others and, and things like that. So do you feel writing that book did help you cope 
with you know the year that it was and and you know all the hardships around it to put it like that oh 100 percent. um it made me feel like you know i don't i haven't checked all the boxes but there's still always more opportunity to learn and grow um and that's kind of like what i was trying to tell myself and i know i could have kept that to myself but i i published it with the intent of overcoming the barrier i gave myself 10 years ago that i can never put myself out there again and seeing other people uh do that really inspired me like shout out to anika pyle who is uh, uh a musician and a poet and and they are really great and they sing about trauma and the loss of their father and i wrote a record about losing my grandfather so like we had a whole zoom call and nerded out like whoa we talk about the same things can we be friends like you know what i mean uh and and they're also from philly so it's just was like meeting like-minded people that shared similar uh but still different experiences uh really inspired me to, to do the same that that's really awesome i yeah I, I appreciate that loads and uh yeah i can't i can't wait to to read the book myself thank you um yeah Hi again. Thank you for listening to the Quiz Front Podcast. Uh, we're currently still doing this podcast for free. And whilst we're currently looking for ways to monetize this podcast, I just wanted to remind you, we've uh, recently put a merch store online to help with our expenses. Uh, every dollar is going into our work supporting marginalized artists and, you know, being able to keep doing so at affordable rates. So I totally know everybody's struggling for money in the pandemic, but honestly, any little help goes a long way. If you just share this podcast with a friend, give it a review or email us with your feedback. Yeah, everything helps. Uh, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the episode. Uh, anyway, so now that we've gotten the music, the podcast, the book out of the way, which is loads of stuff already, um, I would love to speak to you about the uh, main topic that we were kind of planning to to chat about today. I mean, originally you reached out to me about a documentary to be uh, released in June that you've worked on together with uh, videographer Brianna Spurs. Um and, you know, uh, I've gotten to sneak into the documentary through uh, the trailer already. And I will say that those streaming has uh, absolutely got me to the feels uh, right away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I, I loved it. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be such a beautiful and touching uh, documentary. And I, I genuinely can't wait for for it to come out and blow the fuck up as it, as it deserves. Like... But would you mind giving the listener a quick rundown of the documentary by the name Safe and Sound and how it came together and, and kind of like what's going to happen from here on out? Certainly. So uh, just to give a background of how it came together, uh, when I, Brianna and I had a photographer-client relationship in the sense that like I would hire Brianna to like come to my shows and take photos or, hey, another album's coming out. Can you take photos? And then this one photo shoot in uh, late 2018, or was it early 2019? No, no, it was late 2018. Uh, we went out to this like abandoned um, railroad. I know, very typical. And we just were joking about documentaries. And uh, said it's definitely been a dream of mine to 
interview people and create these documentaries around cultures and, and communities and things like that, uh, like food community, culture community. And then she's like, well, I've always wanted to follow a musician and, and create a documentary. So I was like, how about we talk? Like, I know I don't own a car right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like, let's talk. So we, we did dinner and I said, well, this is what I do now. I travel around the city of Philadelphia or parts of tour and I interview people with my Android and I talk about topics uh, that I think are interesting. So like I have interviews about Wawa versus Sheets. I have interviews about cheesesteaks. Like, like you can still find it on my YouTube today. You know? <laughs> and that was my idea of like, these are my mini docu-series. Like, the exp- what would you say? Wawa versus Sheets? Yeah. What's the answer? Oh, uh, it's definitely Sheets. Uh, they, they actually sponsored gotcha. me. <laughs> no way. Yeah, oh, that yeah. is so cool. So, Sorry, go on. And, and they even <laughs> they even sponsored uh, the tour associated with the documentary. But anyways, wow. um, like, so it was just like all these different experiences. I, I just got really in love with the idea of experiencing what happens on tour that we don't ever talk about because we see the pictures we see the gratitude but we don't know those in-betweens so that was kind of like my, my my niche so i talked to brianna and i was like how about we interview people about their experiences with culture and community and, and music um and that was like the the whole funnel like how it started like that was the broad idea so uh then I booked the tour. It turned out to be an 18-show, 17-day tour, uh, East Coast, South, Midwest uh, towns. Um, and we started to re- realize there was a reoccurring theme around diversity, inclusion, uh, and, and safety and, and, and consent. So those are kind of like the four tenets or main topics of the documentary. And we decided to create the title safe and sound despite, you know, it being a, a, a title of a popular song by capital cities um, to really talk about the fact that safe spaces and art spaces um, are places to give voice to the voiceless and marginalized communities in general. And they're kind of like places of, proactive socialism i mean not socialism proactive activism um because we recognized every space had its own set of rules that were relatively the same but really were designed to make people feel safe to feel included and we're really trying to make this documentary to remind people about the value of safety the value of community and consent the value of art spaces as a whole um and this this documentary was supposed to come out late 2019, but between this being a two person team, grant funding, um, and other personal things, it just couldn't happen. And then 2020 happened, so it was just like let's recover from that. <laughs> so uh, <Fair>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you know between merch sales that have allowed this documentary to come come alive. And the sponsorship of Culture Assets, which is a brand from uh, Philadelphia, we've been able to start building some momentum. And uh, essentially, in, in, in one in one or two uh, sentences, Save and Sound is a documentary that focuses on the value of marginalized communities who throw concerts to help uplift each other.
other. So that's what that's about. That is that is so 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 cool. And again, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it. God damn. Um, this is super super random, but I'm specifically specifically intrigued about the uh, performance at, at Grandma's house. Um, there's like two or three seconds in the trailer, and like, and it's um, it's everybody just like sitting in a circle in this like really cozy living room. What is that about? Like, who's Grandma's house? Was that? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Grandma's house is run by um, Andrew Chemist. Uh, they them who basically runs this community of just family. Uh, they're not actually family, but it's like for people who either grew up or moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and they're not a fan of like the gentrification and the new improvements, but they're a big fan of like the culture and the, and the grittiness of what it means to be an artist. So like that show was on a Monday for as crazy as it was, but it's like this community of just, I don't want to say social rebels, but people that just aren't for like the normie culture of, all right, we're going to accept the fact that, you know, classism exists and things like that. So it was just like this space where like there was comedians playing, there were, uh, you know, cover punk artists there was like actually a, a cover act who did like a bunch of like punk songs that we're all familiar with but as covers that's so sick and um they they even had like a pyramid where they did like a like a human triangle that was really cool like it was cool yeah but how like is it like a multi-generational uh community project type of thing or how does it um, I, w- I wouldn't say that they consider themselves a project, even though they're definitely booking shows as if it's, like, a project, like, because people are traveling all over. But um, I-, I definitely think Andrew's intent was really to create a space for people that don't want to deal with, like, the pay-to-play models, people that don't want to deal with, like, not feeling safe in a venue because people are too drunk. Um, and that was kind of, like, their their vision. And it was nothing but love there, like seeing people cry and hug with each other. I remember a person saying, like, after seeing that, I'm going to tell my therapist, like, I don't need an appointment. I was like, no, please see your therapist. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, literally. Like, you know? Uh, so it just was like, I think that was their, their, real, their real vision. I haven't caught up with Andrew in a while, but I'm pretty sure since the pandemic's happened, things are a little different. But that, that's kind of like what was the intent. It looked it looked like so much fun. Yeah. Um, I I do wonder um, how has the process been of working on this documentary together with uh, with Brianna, who you know you taught with for the storytellers tour, um, throughout which the documentary was filmed. Um, how how did the relationship change from like as as somebody who's you know talked with people and like tried to do different types of tours in different types of countries and stuff like that. Um, and I know that there's a very, uh, like, there's there's a way that you experience a tour together, especially when you're, like, two people in, like, one car doing this thing together. Um, but it's so different to look back on the tour together and also come back from it and then go on the next tour. It's, like, a completely different thing. And, like, there's so many intricacies of relationship dynamics in a way there. Um, and I wonder how, how, how that was for you, like... I wonder about the angle of like having done this tour together and having seen these things through your own eyes and then regrouping and then looking back and rewatching and back and forth everything um, that you saw through your own eyes through a camera lens 
through a different sense of purpose, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. you want to make it into this story. Um, how, how do you think that sort of, or like, did that change the work relationship uh, with uh, the videographer Brianna Attell? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Brianna and I, through and through, will always have, like, this brotherly, sisterly, like, relationship. But I definitely can say... And the weeds of the documentary and post, a lot of things were, like, reflective. Like, for example, first and foremost, like, Brianna and I are colleagues. And during the tour, people thought we were a married couple. And there was, like, definitely sometimes a microaggressive behavior that, like, won't be captured on the documentary because it wasn't during recording. That, like, we experienced, like, going to an IHOP and having, like, an old couple going, like, oh, that's fancy that you found yourself an African-American soldier. Like, talking Ooh. about me, like, you know what I mean? Oh, wow. Uh, that's horrible. Which is, like, really weird. Or, you know, oh. Brianna was playing, like, triple duty. Like, sometimes would sing with me. Sometimes did my merch as well as shooting. And I was just like, yo, we could flex roles. Like, you do not have to do merch, but if you want to, like, you know. And people saying, like, really strange things to Brianna. Uh, like, oh, your husband's such a good singer, like, da 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 da. Um, so it was just like these assumptions based on race and gender, even though we were just working, that like got really weird. Um, but on a different angle, it definitely, like, we didn't have the concept of what this documentary was going to be when it happened. It was just like we're shooting and interviewing people, and that's it. Um, but after the fact, we it started to make more sense as a clear story because we, we shot additional material afterwards. Um, and I think it kind of felt a lot about like uh, like a, a funnel, like you're just pouring a lot of batter into a funnel. And then once it comes out, like there's a lot more of a refined point. And it was really cool to be able to interview people from different backgrounds. Like we weren't looking at it like all right, well, let's talk to this type of person, this type of person, those that check all the boxes. Like, we really did talk to people from different age groups, uh, different spaces, um, and things like that. And I think I got a better idea of, of DIY culture. Like, Brianna is, is more of a listener of music and more of a videographer than, like, you know, someone that's in DIY. So I think, like, for her, I don't want to speak too much for her. She even saw music differently um, because she usually goes to, like, big, big concerts and things like that. So I think that that happened. And also, I think we both grew to, like, how can we be more effective? Like, there was definitely times, like, where communication wasn't always the best, but then we always try to, like, make things move forward. Like, uh, we now have an editor that's that's working with us. Oh, that's, Yeah. You know, because at first, like, Brianna was like, I'm going to do the editing. And I was like, what's the status on the editing? What's the status on the editing? And then, like, eventually Brianna cracked and was like, I think we need an editor. And I was like, I have no. <laughs> like, you know, and, like, these are just growing pains, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, it's not like it's a. Normal, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't like a I hate Brianna or Brianna hates me. Oh, no, no. You know, um, like, I would say our biggest argument was, what do we eat? Like, to be completely honest with you, like, there was never, like, a moment of, like, we wanted to to hate each other. But, like, Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the most amount of tension. But otherwise, like, there definitely was a lot of growth. And and there still, like, is growth. Like, we don't know where we're going to release this or how we're going to release this. Are we going to do a lot of private film parties? Are we going to pitch this? Well, we're definitely going to pitch this to festivals. But see, festivals also have different rules. So, like... 
Yeah. There's still a lot to figure out and like things that we need to fund, like finalizing the budget for our editor, uh, you know, having a budget for festivals and like we're launching out merch. Like, so in the same way that like I have merch for my podcast, which is also my band website, I'm going to be launching merch, uh, you know, for the documentary. So it's like all mm-hmm. of these little wheels and like I'm trying to reach out to different communities because one, first and foremost, this documentary is not intent intended it to make me or, or anybody rich. This documentary is to show value and to educate. Yes. And I want to be able to network with as many communities as possible so that they're reminded of the value of independent shows in the first place so that they can create their own standards of community and safety and inclusion. Um, and that's kind of like what, what the point of the documentary was. Cause like, I really wanted to just create a documentary that wasn't about me, but about, community mm-hmm. and then, yeah you would facilitate and then it, facilitate yeah. that and, and share that with the world so um and, and we did that um maybe like maybe later down the road not not like with brianna but like maybe with other people as well i'll work on different documentaries and different topics like what's the best food to eat on tour like stuff like that <laughs> but uh yeah it definitely was a lot of growth can I can I can I give an idea of what I think would be sick or like what I would love to see for uh the documentary roll on? Shoot. I I would fucking love uh for you to when it's possible again to do like an entire like full full on national tour and pretty much like travel together with Brianna obviously. Uh like for the two of you to to travel around and like do these film screenings but like be there in person and then do like a a panel thing folks uh potentially where you get like local folks promoters etc people that do safe space policies and stuff like on a panel in like a physical space and so there's film screening and afterwards there's like this q a and then like these other local people come onto the stage and like everybody gets to, like say the thing about it and stuff like that um and maybe like one or two musicians would play beforehand and be like this whole community night like um and it would make selling merch and stuff for it so much easier yeah. and obviously you sell tickets and all of that and make it like a whole thing like a whole like two three months tour type of thing um how like that would be so sick that was the original plan uh but then the pandemic cut, cut it so sorry <laughs> but you know that doesn't mean it can't happen because yeah it's just just later so yeah yeah no mm. i like that i appreciate that sick yeah um I mean, you kind of answered it already, but maybe um, in like one sentence sentence or two, like what are you hoping for the documentary to accomplish? What is what is like your main goal with it, really? Uh, For a short goal, um, the the goal is to educate and to provide this this place to remind people about the value of independent music and the community a part of it. The bigger goal is to help create more momentum towards the advocacy and the stakeholders involved in creating inclusive, uh, consent-driven, and diversity-driven art and music spaces for the entertainment industry as a whole. Uh, Granted, we played music. We still intersected with other forms of art uh, on that tour. And I know we couldn't afford to go on like a full U.S. tour at the time. But I really just want to that documentary to be kind of like a resource guide for people to start thinking about what does their community look like and how can I make my community a little bit more 
better for people that aren't really part of the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Like, um, I've always, Brent, like to change the topic slightly, but uh, I've always admired people that have so many, you know, different creative and professional ventures going on simultaneously. I do wonder how how do you generally find inspiration and like do you have a certain routine or ritual to get into that like continuous or repetitive like creative uh mindset or even like do you ever do you have a way of like a, a method of like scheduling slash uh, structuring your days and weeks in order to like do or generate all of this output and keep working on all of these things and stay motivated to do that surely uh i do um first of all i'm creating like a one pager about this that i want to share with people um but set it over yeah i definitely (laughs) will um but secondly i think the beginning of my motivational journey starts with my grandfather uh who, who is no longer uh with us but he was a man who went to college at 15 uh moving from a farm town and then after finishing, moved to Philadelphia. So, like, he, he really grew up on a farm with a tin roof to building a life for himself. And I remember he said to, to me, like, I made four times as much as my father, and my sons didn't make four times as much as me, so I want you to make eight times as much. And it wasn't wow. out of the idea of consumerism and capitalism, but the idea of building a foundation for your family so you have something to give and like as a marginalized person, as as an African American and Irish and Native American person, that means a lot for me because, you know, I don't come from money. I don't come from like privilege and opportunity. I come from like working hard and, you know, making things happen when it wasn't supposed to happen. Like a lot of people that I grew up with are either institutionalized, um, are really struggling or are no longer with us, you know, on this earth. And I could be one of those people uh, easily, like any action could happen where I could be part of that system. And I don't look at it as like, as I move forward, let me forget that and just move on with my life. I look at it as like all the things that I do, how can I be an advocate for change and equality? So that's what drives me and motivates me. And how I get about it, go about it day to day is I always think about what do I need to have and what do I need to do and what are things that are nice to have. And then I prioritize accordingly based on time, based on effectiveness uh, and and things like that. So, Turning the question around, what do you do for downtime though? I mean, like, or in other words, you've probably heard of the idea of activist burnout like yeah. the further the further you go down the rabbit hole of like always wanting to like do good for other people and like spotlight other people um it's really easy to like uh i guess forget about yourself in in the process um i i'm very good at that <laughs> and i'm fighting very hard to not work on sundays and it's kind of working out but also it completely like it's so scary actually Whenever I wake up on Sundays, I'm like, what do I even do with myself now? And then I realize again that all like the activists and the work and all the thing like is completely like my life. And like, I don't really have anything else that like doesn't need to have a goal that I want to accomplish mm-hmm. or anything. Do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I've started I've started to go hiking every week with a friend, which has been really helpful before that, before all the lockdown measures, I would play soccer like last summer with with my friends every Sunday. 
without any like goal to it or anything and it was so much fun like do you have anything that like is completely outside of like goal driven you know activist work whatever type of thing like anything that doesn't have to have an outcome and anything that just like calms you down or something like that yeah i, I definitely do have a couple things uh food um despite blogging and writing about it in the past uh just the experience of cooking food really helps me as well as trying new places uh, I can definitely say the all night open mic that I've been doing lately on Instagram has been giving me on joy. Instagram, yeah, yeah. Uh, people think it's like, oh, this is another project. It's actually not. It's my way of connecting with people with no strings attached. Like, there's no goal. I don't have to do any follow up work. Like, yeah, I create flyers, but that's fun. <laughs> but like, that's literally like my way of saying I could share some songs that I haven't released yet, but it's truly not about me. It's about mm -hmm everything else you know that that's been really been giving me joy uh despite having anxiety induced insomnia uh there are some times where i'll do a lot of yoga and then just fall asleep for a long time and it's really mm -hmm. great uh anime anime helps me a lot oh yeah, sick. yeah so yes. yeah i definitely have some things that like allow me to turn off or you know um making beats with no intents of releasing them <laughs> yes yeah, or, or guitar loops stuff like that so. it, yeah it's really important to to kind of have that like i um i certainly ever since i've started really like aggressively uh taking the sundays off mm. and like only only working six days a week um I've uh, yeah I've really felt myself with loads of like free time in that day and like first like first I was really scared what to do with it with myself but I've definitely been trying to somewhat systematically fill that day even though I'll say most of the time I'll be so exhausted on a Sunday that I literally just stay in bed true, like, all day true. and uh, but the other day I you know uh, I I haven't played in bands or done any music really for like four years now or something and I really miss it and I'm only like music business and you know it's sometimes i really miss it so the other day i got i got my my bass guitar from the practice space and uh, it's been really nice and been playing the fucking uh long view green day riff because it's just so fun to play and i'll just play it in the loop forever and it's like the most fun thing that i can do um and like little things like that is i don't know and uh i hope i can play soccer again with my friends soon um if you know the the pandemic situation allows to do that again in summer uh we'll see but um Anyways, uh, kind of wrapping up the interview, uh, last question for today. I would like to ask, um, back from, from where you started to where you are now as an artist, as a professional, as an activist, everything that you do, uh, is there anything that you would say, or like what would you say to your younger self? Um, my younger self was so different than I am today. Uh, I would say to my younger self, like, believe that you can actually do something for people. Because I remember when I was 21, I met Casey Crescenzo of The Deer Hunter. If you do a deep YouTube poll, you could see the two of us hugging. Um, <laughs> and I remember at the end of the show, well, towards the end of the show, Casey Crescenzo was like, does anyone have any questions or concerns? And I literally said, I'm afraid that no one will ever hear my music. And they wow. said, uh, never think that. There's always someone listening, even if it's small or, or large. He's like, matter of fact, here's my email. I'll, I'll send you music and I'll reach out to you. And I sent my music and he never replied to me. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, 
But the message that Casey said was way more important than Mm -hmm. whether the email was responded to or not, because that carried through me from holding onto that message to now believing and living that message. Cause I, I don't, I don't count streams anymore. Like, yeah, I look at them time to time. I don't, I don't count like, like I do celebrate milestones for the sake of gratitude, but I don't hold onto them as if they're my meaning or followers. Like it's important to have those goals, but don't be attached to them to the point of this means failure, success, or this determines my whole, whole value. So, uh, I mean, then when I was 21, people weren't as invested in numbers the way they are now. Um, I mean, numbers do have a value, but I think then I was just very, very anxious and depressed and scared. And I think now I'm kind of like, uh, things aren't perfect, but I'm still a work in progress. Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Um, this was lots of fun. Um, so thanks everybody for listening I hope to see you next time that was it for today I've been your host Maya thank you very much I appreciate it thank you